One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that builds biographical bridges between our guests and you with the help of songs that have become entwined with their lives and memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Judd Chris. Judd was a writer, reporter, and editor for 25 years before becoming a teacher. He grew up in Pittsburgh and attended Slippery Rock University. He got his master's degree from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio in 1985. Judd worked as a digital teletext news writer and editor at WKRC-TV in Cincinnati from 1985 to 1993. After a brief time as a freelance reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, he was an on-air television news reporter for WFTX-TV and WLWT-TV, also in Cincinnati, until 1998. Cribs won a regional Emmy Award in 1994 at WLWT. He moved to Florida in 1998 to work as a feature reporter for Wink TV, becoming the managing editor there in 2008. He taught TV production at Cape Coral High School in 2011 and 2012 before starting at FGCU, where he is currently an assistant professor in the journalism program. We sat down with Judd on September 9th, 19 days before Hurricane Ian made landfall about 35 miles from our studio in South Fort Myers. Hello, Judd. How are you? Hello, Mike. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well. Is Judd short for something? A Judson. Judson. I mm-hmm. went to high school with a guy whose middle name was Judson. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen that as a last name, too. Hmm. So it's uh, J-U-D-S-O-N, but then I became J-U-D-D. Have for... you met any Judds in your life? I met a Judd Nelson, not the actor, but the artist, when I was doing a story at Wink, and he carves stuff out of, like, marble and stone and granite, but he carves everyday objects. So, like, toilet paper rolls, gloves, shirts, and it's just crazy because these things look exactly real. Hmm. It's J-U-D, Nelson, by the way. I know who you're talking about yeah. now. Like, he toilet a, paper roll that looks just like yes. a toilet. It's like the cake trend now. Y- yes. You've seen that? Yes. Like, is it cake? <laughs> yeah, it looks like an apple and you cut it. Yeah. So he had the um, – I think it was at the Rauschenberg Gallery. He had it um, – exhibit and I went over there, just the nicest guy in the world. And you know, we had the commonality of our name. And he he had these like leather, quote unquote, leather gloves that were made of like black something or other, black granite or whatever. And um he said he lets people touch those. Those are like one of the exhibits he lets people touch because people don't believe they're real. Yeah. So that's um so but I've uh, in person not met another Judd. I know Judd Hirsch um, Judd Apatow, I think. Um, yeah, I Google. There's some famous Judds. Yeah, there Judds. are some. Yeah, there's I some. figured, though, you probably hadn't met many. Yeah, um, <laughs> were you listening to music on your way to campus today? Was I? Yes, I was. And I was listening to Beatles uh, Anthology. Beatles okay. Anthology. How do you listen to music in the car? Just CD. Oh, good. Yeah. Hey, yay. High yeah, five to CD, the CDs. Yeah. You and I old for. Um, yeah. I recently got a... Uh, um, you know, because my car doesn't have Bluetooth. I'm not fancy. Mm-hmm. There's a thing you can get for like 20 bucks. You plug it into your cigarette lighter. You tune to a certain channel and you can play everything. You can talk. You can be like fancy. Oh, I know. It's it's cra- it's crazy. I'm kind of like on a need to use basis with tech and, and all sorts. So like and one of my uh, that my car, it's a minivan. It has two cigarette lighters, one of which when I was plugging something in to charge something, when I pulled the, you know, thing out, the charger out, that whole 
unit came out. And I'm like, you know, that's not good. I'm going to just not touch those anymore. Understood. So I just go with the seat. But I have a six CD changer. So oh, I, um, okay. You're yeah. fancier than me. Yes. Um, okay. So you grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. How would you characterize the musical background of your childhood there? Oh, it's 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 your basic like 70s, go to the record store, look through the 45s, listen to like the billboard charts. Um, occasionally I get these weird updates, like songs from summer of 1976. And I'm like, oh, yeah, know that one, know that one, know that one. Know that. So we'd go to the record store, we'd buy the usually the 45s, uh, occasionally the albums and stuff. And then I remember when CDs came along, I was probably in my early 20s, and I went to a mall when I lived in Cincinnati, and I started working there. And I looked at them, and I'm like, what are these little albums? Like, what's up with these? And the guy at the record store is like, oh, these are called compact discs. They're going to replace albums. I'm like, no, they're not. You're out of your mind, man. Everybody's got albums. So um, it was that and listening to radio. Of course, at the time, those were the hits of the day. And then once I get past the 80s, my musical taste kind of like plateaued it was it's weird i still live in that era and i don't i haven't really listened to a lot of new music um because i just find that music so calming from my it's comfort food yeah it's like comfort food for my ears like from my um you know formative years that i just haven't been able to break out and and i and i know i kind of should maybe just to give myself some variety in what i hear but like i just like these songs so much you know so i just go back to them over and over and plus i know all the words now mike because right. i've been listening to them for 50 years and so <laughs> it's like it's easy to sing along you know what were your uh, folks listening to uh kind of the same thing they there were albums like you know glenn miller and the orchestra um they had uh, like Christmas, a lot of theme albums like Christmas albums by various artists, um, you know, the Bing Crosby type albums, uh, Dean Martin, all those. They had, uh, I went through the albums and they had like um, some, mu- a couple musicals in there. Camelot, I think, was in there. And um, then you might like this, this I haven't really mentioned before. They had this one album, which I did look up on YouTube. It's called Soothing Sounds for Babies. Oh. And I'm like, you know what? I've ne- I haven't heard this. You may have heard it, it when you were when a I baby. was little, but in my consciousness, I mean, you know what? I don't recall it. I should say. So I'm like, I gotta hear what this sounds like to hear what my, um, my my mom was playing me before I went to bed. And the sound, and you can look it up on YouTube. The sounds are like bing bong bing bong, and I'm like, not exactly baby Einstein. Yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> and maybe maybe they did some scientific research, but it did not sound soothing to maybe me. Maybe it was an ironic album. Yeah, I, and I thought that might explain <laughs> a lot about how I grew up. You know, like what's that noise and et cetera, et cetera. But um, it was just the generic stuff. Um, I remember like when I was real little, like trying to understand what the grooves did in the album. So I was like like scratching them with my mm-hmm. fingernail to see like, and my mom comes in and goes, Judd, don't do that. You're wrecking. I'm like, wrecking what? It's just like a piece of Did plastic. she call you Judson when you were in trouble? Uh, no, it, uh, no, it was just Judd. And then it was just like sterner version right. of that. So I knew like I was doing something wrong, but a lot of times I didn't know it was, I was completely clueless, you know, um, which has carried over to some degree you know, into adulthood. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but then I realized, oh, and then I learned like the the needle goes in and actually re- mechanically kind of reads the mm-hmm. peaks and valleys, and that was just fascinating, you know. So, um, uh, I I did have my album. I used to being on on you with the radio, uh, you know, radio connection, is I loved DJs and I loved listening to DJs. I used to listen to like talk radio when I was real young, and then I'd imitate it and I'd be like, and I'd make up my own call 
letters and I'd be like, now here on, you know, WJUD, we're going to hear blah, blah, blah. And then I'd back time the record. And, WJUD. Yeah, stuff like that. That's yeah. what I love about this show is when we hand off to the songs, I get to do a little bit of that DJ. Thing. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, yes. it was always fun. And I used to do it. I used to do it in my house at night. And um, my mom said she liked it. Um, and then um, when I went to college, I did. Uh, I worked at the radio stations there. Oh, you did? I, I was a DJ there. So I played music and did the news for that. We had AM radio station initially, and then we got an FM station. So I, I did the news for that. Do you ever play any instruments? I play um, piano and guitar. You like, play piano and guitar? Yes, but okay. okay. We got to say what counts as playing. I play for my own enjoyment, strictly for my own enjoyment. I'm not really proficient. I just like But you enjoy around. it. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yes. And I noodle around on it, you know. And um, that's a that's a relaxer. I've never gotten frustrated like when I play the guitar or I play the piano, I never get frustrated. Like if I screw up the notes or my, my hands hit the wrong notes or I, um, you know, uh, hit the wrong chords or I twang a chord or something, it, it doesn't bother me. I just go back. And some some things like that I do get frustrated with outside of that, you know, if like tech won't work or like something won't turn on. But those things just are so relaxing to me. And um, it's been fun to like be able to kind of semi reproduce songs that mm -hmm. I like. On are you able instruments. to sing along with you yeah. and the guitar? Yeah, I do. So you, you can know. you can separate those parts of your mm -hmm. brain and consciousness? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it sounds like, sounds like good. When I recorded, I'm like, this sounds so good. And then I record and I go, oh my God, like yeah. nobody can hear that. What song do you have down best in terms of playing and singing? Um, Just like rando things. Uh, like the guitar, I pick songs that I can, um, I'm, you know, I've al always, I picked it up more during the pandemic. I was home more. So... I usually go for the guitar. I go. Uh, I pick songs that I can practice chord progressions on. So um, it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. So like I'll have a Johnny Cash one, and then I'll have like something by like um, Crowded House, and then I'll do like mm. you know just random stuff. But it's really I'm looking for songs that I can learn new chords with more right. than more than the song itself. And then the piano. It's mostly Billy Joel stuff, just because I love his piano arrangements and. And even that I cheat because like I'll like I'll like kind of learn the intro note for note. Um, I haven't done it for a while, but I'll learn kind of the intro and then I'll just, you know, just kind of go along with the chords of the song as I play. Judd, yeah. I have like seven years of piano lessons mm -hmm. and that's exactly how I play. So, like, <laughs> like you play, you got to learn to play the riff that everybody knows. And then yeah. after that, it's just yeah. octave C, yeah. octave G. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I just kind of go and I kind of do a little of it by ear. And again, you know, I, I mean, if. If someone heard me that read the music, they'd be like, this is you're missing stuff or you're adding stuff in. But I do it just because it, it makes it just makes me feel good. Yeah. You know? And that's all I that's all I'm really. That's exactly know. how I am. It's it's like a meditation for mm -hmm. me. Um, I add a new song every now and then mm -hmm. try to like learn new chords. It's just it's soothing. Is it know? piano for you or guitar? Guitar. Guitar. Yeah. Although these days I play a strange four string tenor guitar. So oh, really? I'm, I'm a weirdo. It's like a tenor version of a bass? No, no. It's called a tenor guitar. They were apparently popular in the 20s through the 40s for like people who played in minstrel shows. It's because oh. they're a little bit smaller, but it's just the bottom four strings of the guitar. So like when you play a D, it's just like a D. But when you play a C, it's just two fingers. Yeah, because there's you can't. no third finger to put up there, you know. So what's how how's that compared to like a ukulele? Then? It's uh, that's why I ended up getting it because I played the ukulele, but I didn't like how the ukulele sounded, mm. and I've stumbled across a tenor guitar. Oh wow! I'll bring I, it into work so you can come by. I'll bring yeah, it in so like, you can see it. You dig it? Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, okay, time for your first song. Okay, first one. Okay, that is a Rod Stewart song. Um, I was uh, when we were 
uh, when I was a kid, my family used to go to Ocean City, New Jersey. We would go there every summer for like a week or 10 days. We knew people there. I'm not quite sure how we knew them because I was little, but they had like a con- uh, like a house, if you will. It was like a condo, and then they rented out like rooms or like they had a suite. So the suite had like, you know, a bedroom and like a living room, the typical thing. So we used to go there every summer. So um, after um, my, I lost a lot of my family when I was fairly young. And so um, I was like, I want to go back there over the summer just because it's like my only other home, you know, and I knew it so well and hadn't really changed um, throughout the years. So like the things I loved as a kid were kind of still there even into my 20s. And so um, I would take myself on vacation every year. And like some of my friends were like, what? Who are you going with? I'm like, just me. And they're like, that's weird. And I didn't see it as weird. I grew up an only child, so I was kind of used to this. And I would go and I would take like a book, uh, you know, and I would just like go to the beach and just like chill out and read the book. And then I love video games. I still do. So I'd go to, they had video arcades on the boardwalk there and I would go and play video games for a while. And then I'd go back to my room, shower, get dressed. And I'd come out and just walk on the boardwalk and just check out the sites, get some pizza. And how old were you at this time? Probably 23. Okay. I did it for several years, probably from 22 or three to about maybe 28. About me, and so um, one of the I remember it like just yesterday. It I was just like feeling very carefree, um, even relative to someone in their early twenties. I was feeling very carefree. Um, I just finished, uh, you know, I had uh, got a job in the journalism business. Um, I was kind of taking my first vacation or one of my first vacations as a working person. And I was like somewhere on like the Garden State Parkway or something like that. And it was just a beautiful day out. The wind, I rolled the windows down and um, it was sunny and like um, Rod Stewart's Forever Young song came on. And it, and I, I know he'd written it like for his kids, I believe, but it, that just the words were like, you know what, this is like kind of like a roadmap of how I should live my life, you know? And um, I, I, I've heard that song so many times probably before and definitely since, but it's just that one, like when I hear it, I don't think of any other time or any other place in my life than that moment, you know? And so every time I hear it, I, it just makes me, you know, it just makes me happy to think like, that's how I'm going to try and live my life. I'm going to try, because I was young, at the, <laughs> I was young at the time. And that's like, you know, 30 some years ago. Um, but I tried to retain that, um, that, you know, like mental state where you just like i i feel young and hard even though you know the 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 mirror image is uh, when I, when i look in the mirror it's not like <laughs> ah you look no older than 28 to okay, me well, Judd. well thank you how man. uh <laughs> how 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 did you hear it it was it was on, on the car radio on the I, car radio yeah so i was just driving yeah i was just driving i was listening to like whatever the uh south jersey um station was at the time and it just came on and i there was a bunch of other songs i'd listen i'd listen to songs for the entire drive which is seven ish hours from pittsburgh and that moment, though, it just struck me as like this like moment, you know, and um, it's so weird because and as I'm sure, you know, being a fan of all this is like I hear that song now and I don't think of like, oh, I'm hearing it as I'm walking across campus or I'm hearing it as I'm driving. I hear it as I did, you know, 35, whatever years ago. What kind of car were you in? I probably borrowed my mom's car then, which was a... Um, like it was, it was like a, it might've been like an old Chevy Nova or it was one of these like, um, 
GMC type cars. I can't remember which one she had at that time, but you know, she was nice about it and said, listen, you can just have it. I'm going to borrow so-and-so's car. You can have it for the week. And, um, um, I took it. And then as I got older though, I finally got, no, I take that back. I take that back because, um, I was, if I was working, I had, um, probably like a Honda Civic, like the old Honda Civic with a Honda Maddox. Hmm. I did go to the Ocean City once in my mom's car because my other car was broke, but I think I had my Honda Matic. And do you ever remember the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honda Matic? And it had a cassette player in there, which I also used, but I just, yeah, heard this on the radio. And... Well, let's imagine you and your Honda Matic okay. uh, uh, driving, listening to this song. I um, this my... is uh, Judd Cribb's first song here on Three Song Stories today. This is Forever Young by Rod Stewart from his 1988 album Out of Order. That's so cool. I still remember that. It's just amazing. And the whole, like the smells and everything, you know, because you could kind of start smelling like beachy. At least I thought you could at the time. Um, An interesting thing I found out just like a year ago, Mike, Rod Stewart is a expert model railroader. Really? You heard that? I, and, that's not something that I think would like, have made no. it into well, my yeah. in the basement. It's like big table. You know, it's it's. In, I guess it's in the top floor of his big house somewhere. Sure. And but he like, like he, tiny tiny trees. And, yeah, yeah, the okay. whole thing. And it's huge though, Richard. Like the layout itself is huge. And he when he goes on tour, he reserves a hotel room just for his train stuff. So in between shows, he can in between shows he can um. Uh, work on the <laughs> he trains. Can't, he can't go a tour without. No, no. Apparently, he takes him with with him. Well, he's got Rod yeah. Stewart money. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so um, it, he was featured in. He was featured in um, and that's one of my hobbies. I'm a model. Oh, that's like my main fun oh, hobby. Yeah? yeah, that's why I bring it up. I guess I should <laughs> I should have added that in. I've loved model railroad since a kid, and I still have my stuff. I don't really have a great place in my house for it now, but every time I, I've lived in a house, the first thing I do is scope out the corners and like, can I put something there? You know, and um, so I'm an avid model railroader, although I'm not currently practicing it. And he um. Uh, you're a lapsed, non-practicing. You're, uh, I'm you're a non-practicing. <laughs> yes, I'm, yes, my model railroad license has lapsed. Um, but um, he, um, uh, he he was featured in Model Railroad Magazine, which to me was significant because when I was in junior high, this is what started me, I was like, we had study hall in the library. I was in like seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. And there was a article, There was a, that Model Railroad Magazine was there. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy created this entire world in miniature with trains in his basement. And I just like was fascinated by it. And so when at Christmas time, we had a train up around on this like, like ping pong table in my house. And I said that, I said, listen, when to my mom, I said, when it's Christmas is over, can I keep this up and turn it into a model railroad? And my mom, not really knowing what I was talking about, said, sure, Joe, whatever, whatever you want. And so I did, I put it that, I started building the little was structures. The last game of ping pong that was ever It was, there. there was no more ping pong. And so he was then featured in this magazine not too long ago and i'm like oh that's so cool you know because of my connection to this song that we just played and so um he he's like his layout is just though i I I urge you to see it it's just spectacular yeah uh how do you feel like you've done you know living up to the message in the song oh that's a great question um i think i have kind of done that um it's like struggle sometimes you know to like always like do the right thing, even though you're, it's hard. Um, having kids really, you know, bolstered that. Um, 
I just, uh, I still love the same things I've always loved. I try and approach life that way and just, you know, really just, you know, give my zest to everything I do. Like, um, I'm all about, you know, safely and in a law-abiding manner. I'm always about seeking out fun. Like, I want everything I do to be fun. Now, you know, I'm a teacher, so obviously... Um, you know, I, you know, I take stuff seriously, but I even tell my students, I'm like, you can learn and have a good time and have fun. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. So I've tried to go through my life like that. And so when I listened to the song just now, I was thinking that like, you know, you know, don't, you know, you know, grow to be strong, dignified and true. And I think I've, you know, I'm, it's a work in progress. I'm, I'm better at it now than I was yesterday and I'm not as good as I will be tomorrow, but you know, um, and you know, it's like, um, just a constant uh, effort to s- make sure I am living up to those things, you mm. know, and others would have to judge that, you know, I'm, I think I'm, I'm doing the best that I can, you know. Um, you ever see him live? No. And, and, and I don't know many of his other songs. So and, you're not necessarily like big Rod Stewart no. fan besides the model railroad. The model stuff. railroading way more than the music. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the model railroading I'm huge with. Yeah. You, have you met any famous musicians over the course of your career besides uh. the beach boys? Uh, Beach Boys, I did meet uh, Jimmy Buffett. I met. Um, I was at a Cheryl. I didn't meet Cheryl Crow, but I was at a Cheryl Crow concert when they opened um, Islands of Adventure up in Orlando, and they were just letting the press in for it. It was like a junket type thing, and I just I, I I was leaning on the stage. So like she's you know eight twelve feet from me, and I'm leaning on the stage. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of else. Um, I met. I don't know. Uh, no, I don't. No one else pops to mind. I'm, I'm sure I'll think of somebody after, but um, just a, just a handful. So you we you kind of let the Beach Boys thing slide right on by, but we're not going to let it oh, go yeah, too that far. Happen. So you had mentioned that you got to sing with the Beach Boys. Yes, this How was, about you do a little bit of that right now, Richard? Well, it was Barbara Ann. Barbara Ann was the song I sang. Well, let's let's hear a little bit. Ba 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 Barbara Ann. Ba 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 Barbara Ann. Rockin' and her rollin', rockin' and her reelin', Barbara Ann, ba-ba, ba-ba, So what's the short version when of that story? Dance, How did I'm you end up there doing well, that? Well, I, I sang with him at Barbara B. Mann and also at the Charlotte Stadium, where the Rangers uh, played at the time. I was at Wink, and they came to town, and one of their things they do is they um, ask if somebody wants to cover their concert and then also appear on stage with them. So I was doing feature reports at Wink, and uh, so I was the natural selection. And um, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I love their music, and I know, you know. So uh, I went and did a little story with them, and then I just clicked with them. It was um, Mike uh, Love and Bruce Johnson were the two that, that were still carrying on. And, I, you know, they just seemed like nice guys to me. And so we, we uh, did a little story, and we rehearsed like a little dance. And then um, the Barbara B. Man thing, uh, I sang that song with them. That's the song they have the— you know, civilians sing. And then, um, and, and it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. They, they, they were really nice. And then like sometime later, I can't remember how, cause like time's condensed for me over my life. It was, I don't know, like a few months, I would say, um, their, um, promoter called me and said, Hey, the, the they're doing a uh, show up at, um, Charlotte, Charlotte stadium. I believe that's the name of it, where the Rangers used to play. I think it was Rangers. And, um, uh, they said, would you like to do an, do a song, do the song with them again. And I said, well, I would love to, but I like, I'm not, I can't do another story on it. It's a little redundant since I did one. And he's like, no, just you know, for fun. And so I went up and, and, and the whole 
infield, like they had the stage kind of like where home plate was and the whole outfield was people and they had a giant beach ball and they were hitting the beach ball around. So I, I, I went on stage and I sang with them. So it was me and then Bruce Johnson was like right here and Mike Love was like, you know, when I say right here, like as people, as if people can see me. He's showing his yes, hand thank about you, 18 inches Sorry. from his face. I'm a TV guy, you know. Like, <laughs> yes. And then Mike Love is probably eight feet to my left. And the, and I really enjoyed it. They were really nice once again. The thing that struck me, though, it was like I just realized like halfway through the song, oh, my gosh, this is what performers see when they do concerts. It was so like almost surrealistic, surrealistic to watch it from that perspective. Yeah, it's obvious, but it sort of hits you yeah, when you realize it. when you're it. up yeah. there and it's just a throng of people with this, and they're, you know, they're and the dancing and the beach ball's and going. And so um, I got a, sh- a shirt at that concert that said Beach Boys Tour, I think it was 2002. It said Beach Boys Tour 2002. And, and so I was telling people, hey, I toured with the Beach Boys. <laughs> and they're like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I did because... I sang with him here and sang with him. They go, no, tour means you go city to city, you ride the bus, you blah, blah, blah. So it was like a point of contention. Um, and I still maintain technically I semi-toured with him for those two songs. Oh, close enough for me. Yeah, but that Closer was Closer than fun. I've done. It was really fun. It was really fun. That was uh, that year at, at uh, Wink, I think I also flew with the Blue Angels on an FA-18. Wow. And we, uh, yeah, they let me take controls for a little while. What a week. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't throw up, which was a big deal. Um, so it was one of those. That that's one thing I've always been grateful for is being a TV reporter because I was one for about fifteen years. That I just got to do stuff that people wouldn't normally get to do, and I've always been grateful for it, and I've always been you know appreciative of it, and uh, it's you know just wonderful memories. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first music you owned? Well, I. So, uh, yes, the first music I owned was something called like, and I'm getting the name wrong, but it was something like um, Compilation of the Stars. And it was like, really, you, you might, rem- I don't know if you remember them, but they were like, they were like music that was popular, like top hits, but they were, they were sung by like the, you know, like the imitators or some not real band, you know, that like that wasn't the actual band. So I got this. How just did you I, end up with that? that I just like, I like such an eclectic different thing, you know, like would a, this music. Have been a, a record or yeah, it was an album. A, yeah. An album. So like I, w- I remember distinctly, I didn't put this song on my list, but I was with my mom. We were in forest Hills driving somewhere in, there, in, in, in a Pittsburgh suburb. And I heard that, um, the night Chicago died and I can't recall the name of the group, but it's like, <laughs> daddy was a cop on the east side of Chicago. And I, and I was like, that was really well done. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Pa- paper lace. Paper lace. Thank you. Thank you, Regina. Paper lace. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, I like music. I like popular music. It like hit me. And so then I'd see these albums that said like songs by the original artists and the name of the group, I think was the original artist. But like um, Night Chicago Died was one of them. So the band was called Original Artists and they did covers. I think that's what it that's was. That's clever. I think that's what, how it worked. And um, so uh, the Night Chicago Die was one of these covers, and but it had like covers from all these different bands by this one group. And, um, and I can't remember if they were the imitators or the original artists or something like that. And it was great for me because I didn't know the difference between Paper Lace and the original artists. It was just yeah. the, the music. And I remember being kind of like thunderstruck by, oh, I like music now. And so I bought a bunch of those albums. Hmm. Um, what was the first band or musician that you really identified with as a younger person? 
Um, that would probably be, I love, I love Neil Diamond. He was my first concert, uh, which was crazy. I was like, I'm going to see him in real life. It was so bizarre to like hear this music that I had liked being like sung right. And I, I say right in front of me. I literally was in like the last row. <laughs> I mean, I was way up there, but, and I could kind of see him, you know, and I had binoculars and stuff. So it was that, um, Elton John was popular at the time. I really liked Elton John. I still do. Um, Billy Joel, of course, um, Rolling Stones, Beatles, just that whole genre of music, you know? Um, and you know, some of the other, uh, some of the other groups around there, I had like a passing, you know, a familiarity and a, an attraction toward, but those were like the core people. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were in high school? I didn't really know because high school was kind of just like this uh, kaleidoscope of sounds and noises and um, uh, people. And I knew it was going to be some sort of like performative art because I've just always gravitated toward that. And when I did like my mini radio show that I spoke of earlier, I knew it was going to be something along those lines. Um, but um, I didn't really pursue anything. I just knew I wanted to be some sort of communicator, like, you know, actor or... Did you do uh, any theater in high school? Yes, I did theater in high school and all through college and then after college too. Oh, so you did some mm -hmm. theater. Yeah, I did a bunch of shows. I did, uh, I can't try to name, I did MAME. I was in MAME, Prime of Miss Jean Brody, Oklahoma, a couple times. Oh! Yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah, I played Curly <laughs> once, which was... Got a perm when I had hair. Wow. Yeah, that was a big deal. I was like, look at my, my curly hair. Um, Man of Mancha. Um, uh, I was in Brigadoon. Um, Did you go to college to do theater? A lot no. of times you don't do theater in college unless you're doing theater in college. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that question is um, I went as a phys ed major because I love sports at the time. I was on the volleyball team in, in – uh, in uh, high school and I just loved sports and I played other sports and you know, just kind of off to the side. And, um, I, I, I did my first semester as a phys ed major. And around that time, I can't recall the specific day, but around that time, the, um, theater, I was in my second semester. I was in a theater. I was in Fiddler on the Roof. And I was like, you know what? This is just seems more like a career for me. And sports seems more like a hobby. And, and I had this moment where I actually like was prescient about, like my life, which is unusual. And I was like, I just don't see, I see myself being like in some sort of performative art or communication art as a career and sports is like something I do on the weekends or, you know, and that was rare for me at the time to have this like, you know, self-reflection. So I switched over to communication at the same time, the theater department became part of the communication department. So you could take theater classes and then Interesting. count. Yeah. They count like toward electives. I think they were. So I was taking, you know, scene design, acting. I was in the shows. Um, and um, uh, but I was a mass comm major, mass communication. And then I went to grad school and I was also mass communication. And I did a show there. I did Oklahoma for the second time, but I was working like the lights for that. Um, and actually, I think I did it three times then because then when I moved to Cincinnati, um, yeah, college, grad school. And then when I moved to Cincinnati, I joined Cincinnati Music Theater, which was a really well-run uh, community theater. And they did Oklahoma, which I was then in. <laughs> so if you count, I, I think I did it three times. And um, we also did, um, I'm trying to think of all the other, we did Brigadoon and, you know, um, trying to think of all the other shows. I was in a couple like uh, I, a Gilbert and Sullivan 
thing in college. So it was just, it was really nice. I really enjoy performing. I still would like to do it. My voice isn't as in good a shape, obviously, as it was back then. The The main obstacle is I'm a morning person. Mm. So I like to get all my stuff done by mid-evening so I can just kick back. And the problem with the shows was, um, if, especially if I had a big role, oh, Music Man, I also did. Um, if, if, if I had a larger role and the, you know, the, uh, call for the show is like seven and then the curtains at eight i spent like all day like freaking out about it <laughs> like you know worrying about it and like okay is it time it no it's on time so that was actually a one reason i moved into uh uh like uh writing and tv and now teaching is that i can do it during the day more you know yeah i just wasn't a night per i'm just not a night well, person. it's not too late you know you should yeah. hook up with bill taylor over at theater conspiracy it's a community theater and they're always looking for people you could fit right in yeah it'd be fun like my kids are kind of getting into it now and so i thought you know it'd be kind of fun to ha be in a show maybe with one of them just to kind of round out everything yeah you know so it i it is definitely on my uh you know wheel of thinking but it's been a long time i think the last show i did was probably Oh, uh, 25 years ago. Mm. Well, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. It wasn't in your bio. No. Um, okay, well, let's get to your Dire Straits song, song two. Okay, so this was, um, this is another uh, one that just brings back a whole era. I was working at the ABC affiliate in Cincinnati as a writer for this digital uh, news product called Teletext. Um, and the name of the magazine, the digital magazine was Electra Teletext. It was before the internet. It was before, you know, widespread digital information and it was really interesting how um remember in the old days like your vertical hold would be off on your tv and yeah. you would have to adjust it well in that band is data and you can lease data in the band and encode information into it so taft broadcasting where i worked uh, which was uh, also owned the ABC affiliate in cincinnati where, where, our, where our office was and zenith tvs came up with a agreement where zenith would put a decoder chip in the tv and Taft Broadcasting would supply the editorial content, of which I was a writer. And then people who purchased these Zenith TVs with Teletext could click on a, their remote, click on a button that said text, and this news service would prop up. It was like the forerunner to like a news aggregator. And we would rip, uh, uh, I think we had UPI copy, United Press International copy, would rip it and would kind of like condense it because the stories were shorter. And... Um, I love this job. I did work at nights for a while, and then I, when, I, when I morphed to a day person, I moved over. I met lot, uh, some lifelong friends there, and um, uh, th one day it just was, it wasn't a big money maker. You know, it wasn't like a revenue stream. And so one day they're just like, "Ah, we need to cut costs, and this is an obvious cut." And I, I get it, but it's not making money. You know, so um, my 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 dear friend also worked there, and so we found ourselves without jobs, and we. So we were doing the unemployment thing where we were looking for jobs and that stuff, that kind of stuff. And we were commiserating. Um, and the way we would commiserate is we'd buy some sort of like um, adult beverage. Like usually it ended up being like cheap sangria. I'm not sure why it was that. Cause I, I don't think I've had it since then. <laughs> but it just was like so, you know, tasty. And we would play video games, you know. We would play video games and we would talk about like what next is going to happen. You know, like we, you know, we have these skills, we think, but we have, we're like a people without a country, you know, we'd have no place to go. So we'd listen to the radio while we were playing um, video games. And one game that we loved and I still love is called PGA Tour Golf from around 1990, I believe it was, or that, no, 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 that, it, we, no, 1999, I think it was around that era. And so um, I still love it. 
And um, no, I tell you that ninety ninety three. I remember now, um, and it's kind of all the same anyway. That, that game, but we love that version. So we would play this game and just you know drink the sangria and just like talk about like what's next. And the radio station would listen to uh, during that time would regularly play Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits, and we were like, oh, that's our that's our theme song because we are swinging the golf club. The, oh, the, the, the Sultans of Swing. The video golf club. Ah. And so every time it came on, we'd be like, oh, this is us, you know, and we'd crank it and we'd play video golf. And so it just reminds me of that time where I had to kind of like recalibrate, like this This is a scary time. And had I known then what I know now, it would have been easier to survive it because it turned out okay. But at the time, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't yeah, know what yeah. job I'm going to get. And, you know, uh, I was unfortunate how it turned out. But at the time, you know, we were apprehensive about it. So this was our way of like commiserating with each other. And so when we heard this song, we're like, that's our theme song for this era is us playing the video golf because we're the Sultans of Swing. And and I just love, I do love the song too. And so um, uh, every time I hear it, I, I it's like the song we played before, which is, you know, one of the points of your, um, um, this, this event is um, I, I can picture us sitting there playing. It's nighttime. The radio's on. We're like, we had our little blue uh, unemployment booklets that we had to fill out to make sure we were looking for jobs. And it's like, this is a key turning point in our lives, both of us. And we both ended up okay. But it, you know, at the time it was like, this is like, things are going to go one way or another at this point. And we were just trying to make sure it, we kept the ship afloat. And so every time I hear that song, I'm like, that that's a other whole vibe, you know that era. And I think I I must have been about thirty one at the time. What was the game system you were playing on? It was a Sega Genesis. Okay, so that's why I'm trying to pinpoint the date because um, it was Electronic Arts game, and they had this game throughout. And they've had versions after that, like ninety five, ninety six. I'm pretty sure this would have been around ninety three or that era, and. Um, we used to call the radio station and request it when, like, if we didn't hear it. <laughs> It'd be like, because we need to play yeah. golf too, man. Kind of, yeah. We were like, hey, <laughs> you know, we're, we're here and we're, we're looking for jobs. And, you know, we just play video golf and that song motivates us PGA to PGA Tour Golf. PGA Tour Golf, is yeah. Is the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has real golfers' names in it, but oh, yeah. they're from the era. Who did so you like, play? Hey. Oh, I was just me. You put your name. Oh, but in. So you, you couldn't put play Kinnairi. like you couldn't be Tiger Woods, or no, I guess no. no Tiger Woods yet. But no, so it's like so. The, the cool thing is though, so you put in Mike Canary, and then it's like you, if you play with these other pros in a tournament. Like you can play Sawgrass, you can play like um, TPC, and if you if you start doing well, your name they, they show a leaderboard, yeah, you know, yeah, and you see your name up there, yeah, with like Jack Hitler Nicholas with, yeah. and you know Freddie Couples, yeah, yep, they were all there, <laughs> yep, all those guys of that era, and so um, it was just like kind of like um, like a soothing behavior for us to, hmm. to play that game, you know, and. Um, you know, there you can take as long as you want between shots, so we would yeah. have time to talk. And then when that song came on, we'd be like, "Oh yeah," we'd be like, you know, it just like juice us up, you know. So um, uh, every time I hear it, I think of that, you know, that moment when we're just sitting there playing golf, wondering what we're going to do next with our lives. Well, let's listen to it through that lens. This is uh, "Sultans of Swing" by Dire Straits off their self-titled album released in 1975. It's Judd Cribb's second song on today's Three Song Stories. He could not play any other notes but those notes for the song. Yeah. 
Like, I'm sure he could. Yeah. But, it, like, it has to be those notes. So, real fast, I, I heard that, um, I think, for the first time when I was in college, pretty early in college, and I spent, I think, a month just getting that riff down. Oh, Because wow. it's so taxing to, yeah. to play it at length, at speed. You mentioned in the middle of that to us here in the studio about um, what it, uh, if they play it live, did Knopfler play that exactly like that? And the answer is no. Hmm. Um, there's, I, while, we, while you guys were listening, I was listening to a bunch of live performances hmm. and the solo changes uh, in the middle and then at the end. Hmm. Um, so he plays totally different solos. That, that riff at the end is still something he always hits, mm-hmm. but like it's different. It's a different song. That's, that's it's so interesting because like you play it 10 times, like he plays it 10 different ways, but that's the version we know. Mm-hmm. And it it sounds like it just can't be any other way. And then he plays another way and you go, oh, well, there's that's that how I knew way. so quickly that it was that he yeah. definitely like I could say it definitively because I skipped straight to a solo and I was like, I've never heard this, that's this am- before. That's just wow. amazing. The innate musical ability is just it's like it, for me, that's like and Richard, I applaud you for trying to um uh, replicate it. For me, that's like a, I paint by numbers. I mean, I can't like <laughs> hear that and do that. I right. have to be like, okay, wait. Now this finger goes where now? Okay, wait. This goes uh, oh, we have the... a we have a question for this. Yes, uh, Judd, do you dance? Are you a dancer? No. So no. <laughs> I can. That I can... is. Yeah. Ballroom dance. Oh, no, no. He definitively does not dance. Yeah, I do. So, <laughs> I can see the look on his yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have good rhythm <laughs> as a musician, and I, I know how to move my body w- the way I want it to move from like sports and stuff. Like I can, yeah. I can dance if you, if there are steps, you can dance if you want to, but you yeah, can leave that world you can, behind. but there are no safety dances for me. If you just play <laughs> music, my body's like, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. Cause like I'll, sometimes I'll, I play like, um, there's the word, the word for it. Uh, I think it's a Thai word or uh, like Al Rotondo. Or what is it when you play like just not strict rhythm? There's a, like a, a musical term for it. Uh, uh, Richard. Richard, you would. Uh, it is rubato. I think it's rubato. Where it's domo arigato. Uh, <laughs> I don't. And that that you mean legato? Like, but that's just slowly kind yeah, of. Yeah, I think it might it, it might be like a slow down. It might be rubato, but it, the, it's the term that says you know we're not going mean, to follow. Arrhythmic is. Yeah, we're not going to follow a strict rhythm. That's my default setting like i'll i'll put on <laughs> it uh, means you like to play by yourself because if you play with other people yeah, you're gonna suddenly, be crazy yes so like so i'll put on a metronome and i'll start playing to the I'll, like you know in the time signature it'll have the metronome beat i'll put it on there i'll start playing i'll go like this metronome's off it can't really be the metronome now can it uh, Tempor, you know? uh tempo rubato oh rubato yeah yeah it means literally robbed time yeah yeah, I remember half of it. So, um, but that's my default playing. So, like in a band, it would be a challenge. Like it would be singing. It wasn't a problem when I was in the choirs and stuff. I was able. Well, that, of course, we had a director, so that helped. Um, um, but even when we'd go like without a director for whatever uh, performance we were doing, I, I was a, and and when I was in the musicals, I was able to keep up. Um, but that's because there was a strict beat happening with the orchestra or whatever. And now, um, when I play by myself though, it's like, it sounds, the weird thing is it sounds right. I totally understand what you're saying, but it's like, I thought I, I, my my first default thought is the metronome is lying, but 
That's not how they work. <laughs> highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah, highly unlikely. Um, so uh, after you know you left that one job behind because they fired you the teletext thing, mm-hmm. and then you were playing golf on the Sega. What was your first job? Did you go into TV then? I um, well, that's uh, that's I have to remember. What happened was when I was at the job when the when they eliminated us. By then, I'd been there eight years, and I'd written about I don't know three or four freelance articles for Cincinnati magazine they had a little um they had a little section called observer and i had a couple friends just cuz i was in the business by then you know i had a couple friends who had written for them and um i had run into something at the kroger supermarket up there it was in cincinnati called um it was a gator meat so like you know they sell gator meat Oh, process from the tail. Gator meetup. No, like like food. Gator food. (laughs) (laughs) No, like food from the tail of the gator. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I got to write this up for my teletech service because we also would do features. And I liked the original reporting aspect of it rather than the rip and read uh, aspect of it from the wire copy. So I wrote this uh, story about the gator gumbo and. uh, one of my friends who had written for Cincinnati Magazine, who was my colleague, he also freelanced for them. He said, oh, you should see if they want this because it's, you know, kind of quirky. So he hooked me up with the uh, editor of that section. Um, and her name was Mary. And she's like, oh, yeah, I like it. We'll run it. So by the time I we got let go, I had, I think, maybe four articles for them. Around the same time, I heard that the Cincinnati Enquirer needed stringers for the east side of town up there. And the, and my friend, her name was Ann. She said, why don't you show them your Cincinnati Magazine articles and um, see if they like your writing style. So they did. And they said, well, you can do like um, reporting for us from the east side of the of town where I lived. And so I would go to all the events there and, and report on them. And then just as luck would have it, around that time, maybe a few months later, the Fox affiliate in Cincinnati, WXIX, was starting up a 10 o'clock newscast. And they needed reporters, on-air reporters. And uh, they wanted preferably local people who knew, like, the local media scene. So there was a, another radio person who became a reporter. There actually maybe two there. And um, I had semi-known the assistant news director because we worked in the same building. We weren't like friends or anything, but like I think we kind of knew each other. And I, uh, I, my good friend at the time, not the Salton's a swing friend, but another friend, he was a photographer at one of the other stations in Cincinnati. And he said, listen, if you want to apply for this job, I think you could do it. I'll make a demo reel for you if you get me like a case of beer or something and pizza. So I did that and we made like a demo report and then i gave that to the people at the fox affiliate that were starting up the 10 o'clock news and they're like yes we would like you to um freelance for us so i was doing so i started doing that and it was like weird because i'd do like two days and i have two days off then i do nine days and then have a day off then i'd have one day and then eight days off it was just kind of hit or miss and this was doing on camera on camera yeah yeah tv reporter yeah and this was in 90 uh it's hard to remember all the dates i think it was around it must have been around 93 it was shortly after the golf era (laughs) um let me make sure yeah i think that that's about right and um so um so we, I started doing that, and we were going on with the 10 o'clock news. And then as, as happens in TV, people leave jobs to take jobs elsewhere. So I kind of got bumped up the ladder because, you know, I, I could do it, and I was there. And so I ended up becoming, like, a weekend, the weekend reporter um, and also a freelancer. So I had a two guaranteed days and then all the other days that other people were sick or were taking vacation, which ended up, Mike, being a lot of days, like almost more than like a regular job. 
And so uh, about, I don't know, maybe eight months or so, it's hard to remember the exact times into it, they, they wanted to do a, a midnight news, which I don't think they do anymore. So it was 10 p.m. news and then midnight. And they said, for the midnight news, we want some more like offbeat stories. And I said, oh, I'd like to do those. I like, you know, I think I have an offbeat sense of humor and I like to, you know, you know, do fun things with people, uh, you know, story-wise and um, find fun people. And they said, okay, do a few of those. So I end up doing a few of those. And they were well received by the people at the station. I don't know what the viewers thought of that. And I and occasionally though, viewers would say, "Hey, I saw that. That was kind of cute. It was, you know, it's up. You have to be pretty up pretty late. You're probably drinking. Oh, oh I was not you. The, oh no, the they might have been. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, that I, yeah, I wasn't accusing yeah, you of being <laughs> a drunk on camera. I meant like if you're watching the news at midnight. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, and you know that might have enhanced the viewing experience. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so, um. So, you know, and so much of life is timing. I, you know, I think that's probably true for a lot of us. And um, so around this time, I had built up enough uh, these feature stories. The main feature guy at the NBC affiliate there, which was WLWT, left to get a job. I think it was in Detroit as an anchor. And I approached the news director and said, news director there and said, hey, would you be interested in doing features again since this guy mike left and he said i don't know let me see your reel so i had some from the um fox gig and that wasn't a full-time gig and i was you know obviously want a full-time job and so i showed it to him his name was bob and he said yeah that let's have you do that so i started doing that uh full-time and i did that for i uh how long was i there um five years ish i think four or five years and i did the features for like two years and then they they switched me over to hard news because they wanted more hard news in their newscast and i did that for a while and then i i was like you know what i um miss doing these fun human interest stories and i got wind of just through looking through the trade tabloids that wink tv had done those in the past they had a history of doing those and so i sent my tape down here and said hey listen i'd i do them here and there a mainly hard news now general assignment reporter but i'd like to get back into doing these i want to build a community and i want to you know kind of mix it up with the people in a fun way for the news and not be so dire all the time and then the news director down here said okay let's Let's do it. And then I came down here and I did it for 10 years here. So, you got here in 98? No, I got, yeah, I got here in 98 and I did it to 2000. Oh, excuse me. I did it to, um, I bumped the mic there for those of you can't see. I did it from 98 to 2008. And then from 2008 to 10, I was the 10 ish. I was the uh, managing editor there at Wink. So, um, I love doing the features, but when I switched over to managing editing, I realized that one thing I really enjoyed about it was taking all this accumulated experience that I couldn't help but get, you know, yeah. and, um, and passing it along to the younger reporters. And I'm like, you know, this seems really clear that we should organize the story this way. And I really enjoyed working with them. And I was like, maybe I should just do this, you know, uh, like, like a mentor or teacher role. And then once again, timing the, my friend who left wink was the TV production teacher at Cape Coral high. And his wife got it, who was also in TV, got a job in Texas. So he went out there and they suddenly needed a TV production teacher at Cape high. And so I was like, Oh, I'll try that. And I really enjoy that. I love working with the kids. Um, right before I did that, um, my, a uh, beloved colleague, Lynn Milner, uh, who founded the journalism program here, had brought a tour of FGCU students to Wink. So right before I left Wink, um, they or a few, I guess a year, maybe two before I left Wink, um, the news director saw I was done with my 
work for the day and said, hey, can you talk to these students from FTCU? And I said, sure. So I went in there and I just chit-chatted with them. I didn't even know Lynn was like a teacher. I thought it was just she was another student. <laughs> and so I was just talking to them and I didn't think anything about it. And then Lynn called me a couple weeks later and said, would you be interested in being an adjunct? Like uh, I have some courses I'd like, you know, for you to perhaps teach. So I taught, I adjuncted grammar uh, two semesters. And then I was teaching at the high school. And then um, when Lynn founded the program and it became its own major, they were looking to hire new uh, professors. And so I applied and got a full-time professor gig. And then I've been here for 10 years. So that's like the whole, I mean, it's like that little story spans 25 years, I think. Right. But (laughs) I have to sometimes go back and go, did that happen? (laughs) Like, am I... Did I really do all those things? And I kind of like categorize it year by year to make sure it actually did occur, you know. And then, um, you know, had kids in there as an older father. And, um, you know, we've talked about our kids. And, and um, so, and I thought, I think about that Rod Stewart song when I, you know, when I was be, be a new dad, you yeah. know, because he sang that about his kids. And um, and I think about the whole Salt and Swing era because, like, I don't know if I would be here talking to you as a professor with kids, had that not happened. It's just so interesting, the life's twists and turns. Yeah, isn't it? Like, um, it's like the, I always say it's like the opening of Forrest Gump. It's like it's just a feather on the wind, you know? And it's like, it just takes you wherever it takes you. And I'm thrilled and incredibly grateful. I mean, just incredibly grateful that it's led where it has. I feel very, very, very fortunate, you know? Do you ever use music as an element in your teaching? Not directly. We... We talk about um, like copyright music stuff. Okay. So I will play stuff like there was a case not too long ago with the Led Zeppelin and a group name. I think it's either the group's name Spirit and the and the song is Taurus or the s- group is Taurus and the song is. Spirit. Yeah, they sued Led Never, Zeppelin yeah. saying that the riff from Stairway, Stairway to Heaven, Heaven came mm-hmm. from them, and I listened to it and it didn't seem. That, too close. Yeah, it wasn't it, like spot on. No, it seemed like a fairly typical like descending chord, yeah. stepping chords down. Um, so we'll play music in class like with that, and I'll ask the students, you know, like, what do you think? And you know, can you hear? Can you hear it? And you know, here's how it came about. And we'll do like um, Sam Smith did a song that Tom Petty said was a uh, copy of his. Um, song and so we'll play it and we talk about like ownership rights and like publication rights performance rights all that stuff so it's it's um incorporated that way you want to hear the comparison yeah let's what what is it called uh so spirit is the group uh group okay yeah (laughs) um taurus is the the song yeah i mean as somebody who's played a lot of music and composes and plays guitar, you know, they are, the progression is similar enough, but the, the structure of the actual notes, the composition is not that similar. It it sounds just from listening to it again, like it's just going down half steps. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not the same progression. Um, the tempo is similar. So I think people maybe get a little bit tripped up in the fact that it feels yeah. Like it, you know, it feels similar, but it's it's not. And I think and they lost cool. that case, right? I hope so. Le- yeah, Led Zeppelin prevailed as yeah. far as I remember, and they, and they um, I went through a, a few courts. I don't think it was just one and done. Like it, it dragged on for a while, and I think they prevailed. Yeah, there was a technicality where the um, one jury wasn't allowed to listen to it and had to go. If I, I'm trying to make 
I'm sure I get this right, but they, there was like a technicality with something like that. And then they had to redo part of it. And, um, but yeah, Led Zeppelin for Vail, cause they said there's just not, there's just not, it's not an exact duplicate, but Tom Petty, um, and Sam Smith, they did arrive at some sort of, uh, um, you know, agreement and same, same with Rod Stewart and Bob Dylan. Because hmm. uh, Rod Stewart took that song Forever Young to Bob Dylan and said, this might be a little bit like yours. And so they agreed to share royalties with it. Hmm. So that's just the, I, so I'll incorporate music just because uh, the behind the scenes thing is interesting, um, but not like, all right, we're going to rock out today, students, about right. journalism, you know. Um, uh, before we get to your third song, uh, what is your peak concert experience from your life? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I remember uh, my first was concert was Neil Diamond, and then in college, Billy Joel had just came out with an album, and I think it was uh, Innocent Man, somewhere around there, and and he came to Pittsburgh Civic Arena, which is no more uh, the concert venue, and my friends were like, "Hey, we got tickets, like you know, we're looking for somebody, like, do you want to go?" Because like someone bailed out, and I'm like, "Do I want to go?" <laughs> and so. Um, I was just like in euphoric. I was euphoric, you know, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Billy Joel, and I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna see him sing his songs. And the concert was at like say nine or whatever time. And at nine oh three, we were just like walking in, and I'm like, we've blown it, you idiots. We're all late, and not knowing that how concerts work, yeah, you yeah. know, like it was like forty two minutes before he came on. <laughs> but I was like, I can't miss. And they're like, it hasn't started yet. Do you hear? Chill music? out, Judd. Yeah, no, I was not chilling out. <laughs> and yeah, they were saying that, and I was like, it's not. 903 people, you know, um, and and so I sat and I had binoculars and we had fairly good seats. And so I could like zoom in on him. I could watch the keys he was playing wow. on the piano. And I was just like, this is so cool. And people were singing along. And I was like, I'm not singing along because I want to sing along. But I want to really you want to hear, hear it. everything. So, yeah. And like his uh, drummer, Liberty DeVito, I just think he's just an awesome drummer. And um, Liberty DeVito. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah. He, yeah. And so um, they, they all, uh, I think. um. It was um, the sax- saxophone players. He had two saxophone players. I think Mark Rivera's one name, and Richie Canada, I think, was the first one. This was, I think, the second guy. And um, they, they just were so good. They were so tight. It sounded just like the record. Um, then the other experience, which I really enjoyed, was I came here. Before I started teaching here, I came here to see um, uh, Ringo Starr's All-Star Band. And... Um, uh, that was really fun. It was in Alico Arena. Hmm. And so I just really enjoyed them. I'm trying to remember who all was in it. Colin Hay, I think, for Men at Work was in it. Uh, Sheena E., I think, was in it. Wow. I, I might, I'm pretty sure I got that right. I might, uh, be, Richard can fact check me, but, um, and I was sitting there and I was just enjoying the music. They did like, Who Can It Be Now? The Men at Work song. They did a couple other numbers, a couple Ringo numbers. And I sat there and it, like pretty early on, Mike, I was like, I am watching a Beatle play the drums on stage. And I was just like, this is the coolest thing. Like, hmm. you know, the, the fact that I'm sitting here watching Ringo play drums, you know? So those were my two, those hmm. were my two peak experiences. I just loved them. Um, speaking of Billy Joel. Oh, yes. It's your third song time. So this song is from his River of Dreams album, which is, I think, his last pop song before he did like a, he did a um, classical um album this was his last one um and um it's it predates my kids but um you know i like they like having kids really centered me as far as like i've got to be a good example for them i don't have a choice you know so um uh i've got and i'm not a natural caregiver 
I'm just not that good at it, like naturally. I have to really like, okay. At least you're self-aware enough to yeah, realize I, that. Yes, I, I, I'm like, okay, what, what would a natural caregiver do in this situation? And I just try to do that. My friend- um, What would Rod Stewart do? Yeah, what would Rod Stewart do? <laughs> my friend who I played uh, golf with, my other Sultans of Swing uh, cohort, he, he's an excellent father. So I call him uh, you know, frequently and say like, what would you do if this happened? He gives me advice, which I, you know, appreciate and treasure and try to follow. So I like, you know, this was a weird thing. It's like suddenly there's like another one of you, you know, from having a kid. It's like there's another one of you mm. almost. And at this time, my daughter, she's like a little ball of goo. She's not, she's just looking around. Uh, she was very, very young. And I was trying to, you know, kind of get her to fall asleep because she was a little fussy that night. And so I, I thought, I'll put on some music. So I put on this Billy Joel song we're going to play. And I was just like, I start kind of like almost like tearing up because I'm like, this is like, you kind of see yourself as suddenly like me being an only child, especially when I was young, it's like, there's me. And then the other universe, rest of the universe is a tiny little part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly it's like, when I get older, it's like, I'm suddenly not as big a part of the universe. And then when I have kids, it's like, I'm just one atom in this giant thing and um and this is my connection to the future and so i'm like i gotta do right and i've had i have two kids now i'm like i just gotta do right by them and so this song i remember i was sitting in this our spare bedroom i was sitting in the chair by the desk i was holding her and this was in the day before i don't think i had a cell phone so i'm on the computer i played youtube and i thought this song is calming and it's kind of about you know that relationship and i said i'll play it for her and i'll just never forget like i can like with the other two songs i can see the scene in my head as if it just happened yesterday so i tried to learn it on the piano with varying degrees of success but um <laughs> it doesn't sound as good as this song you know but it, it's played from when i played it's played from the heart now, it's not played well but it's played from the heart is this a song that your daughter would re recognize as one that was important to you around that time? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it since then, and um, they've since become kind of Billy Joel fans, you know. Um, and it's just like it's a it's a lullaby, and it's just a, such a soothing song that at, initially it was just uh, for the soothing purposes that I was doing it. But and it's a pretty song. But then when you when I listen to the words, I'm like, this is really like kind of what he's saying, the same thing I'm thinking about this time. It's just kind of like one of those times, you know, that I'm sure other people have where you were um, like the everything intersects, you know, and like the event and your position in the universe and you're thinking about things all kind of like come to a point, like, which is why I love this whole idea of the songs because music's such a powerful and smells too. You know, I got three smells story. I'm, I'm we've, in. We've kicked around yeah, the three idea. Three smells story. I'm in. It's I'm a little in. harder yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> uh, translate to radio. Um, but um, uh, but yeah. So this song just reminds me of that moment the same way the others do, and just for different reasons. And is like part of just the evolution of like, you know, they say it's a soundtrack of your life. You've heard that cliche, but it is. It is. These songs have like marked waypoints, very significant waypoints in my life. Let's listen to this song together. This is uh, uh, Billy Joel's Lullaby, um, or in parentheses, Good Night, My Angel. It's off his 1994 album, River of Dreams. It's Judd Cribb's third and final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. I, will be I always, that, that last line chokes me up a little bit every time. <clears throat> Just to think about, you know, like, I'm not going to be around forever, but you know, the essence of what I've done hopefully will be to somebody, you know, and um, 
I never thought about that before until I had kids. Is it like you know this is this is your legacy, however small the circle might be, you know, um, and that song just the end of it just gets me every time, you know, um, and I think about my parents and my grandparents and you know it's like, um, you know when when I when you're younger it's like at least for me I was like like I said I was a bigger part of the universe back. <laughs> Back yeah. then, you know, and then, you know, and it, this put everything in perspective. So that when I hear that song, I just think about, you know, that moment, of course, but just the whole idea behind it. Did you have any other like lullabies that you sang that you, uh, you like made up? No, I mean, my kids and I, they're, they're pretty musical. So we'll just like riff on stuff. Like we'll just make up songs or, you know, randomly, you know, yeah. with, with something somebody says. Um, but no, I don't, you know, and, and I will like sing along with them, play the piano and stuff, but we don't have any set things that we've done there. I did, uh, this is, you know, a little off the tangent, but there was this album when I was a kid called day in the life of a dinosaur. And, um, the, um, it was about this person who goes back in time and meets the dinosaurs. And it was a musical. And the guy who played the dinosaur was the guy who played Laverne's father on Laverne and Shirley. Huh. And I can't, I'm blanking on his name, but, um, so I memorized that just because I listened to it so many times as a kid, like every night. So there was a while there when my kids were young, I would re recreate the whole first part of the album that I remember. Huh. So I, I, you know, and there were songs, so I would sing the songs, you know, and I'd do all the voices. So I don't know if that counts, Mike, as a lullaby, but it did. It was effective. They would go to sleep to it, so it worked. Um, you ready for a speed round? Yes. Um, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share with us? Uh, Judley. Judley. Mm-hmm. I've heard that a bunch of times. And, and, and independently, people will say that without me. Judly saying it, or without them knowing that the other person say it, they just say it. Um, karaoke seems like you might be a karaoke gear. I have only done it once. I I'm not like a public person. This is the most I've talked about myself in my like at one time in your whole life. <laughs> well, for a long time, I used to more so back in the day. But like, I just am more a little private, and I don't like. I only like performing if it's like a structured event, like a musical or a choir concert. So I only did karaoke once, just at the behest of a friend. I did it only once. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you enter the arena on? Oh, that's a good one. Um, uh, probably I'm Still Standing, Elton John, oh. yeah. which was in, I think, a recent uh, animated show. I think it was in like Sing, one of yeah, those songs. It was songs. in Sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sing. yeah. The, the monkey sang it. Yeah, or yeah. Or the gorilla. Yeah, and, 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 and so my kids, when I played it for Elton John, they're like, oh, that's the song from Sing. And I'm like, no, actually, it's the other way around. You know, so it, that music's coming back, which makes me very happy. You know? What would your wrestler name be? Uh, well, I would say Judley. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go with um, Storm Smash Disaster. Storm Smash Disaster. Yeah, I, I that, that just came out of nowhere. That's pretty, you asked me. Yeah, you, you know, it. it's pretty good yeah. though. <laughs> um, if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that was distilled Judd Cribs, oh, what distilled. would it be? Not like your favorite thing. Like, what would represent your essence? Uh, probably, probably vodka. Uh, it's clear. Doesn't have it. It's kind of like it doesn't like. You can't really tell what it is until you taste it. Um, it's good in small doses. 
he can't have transparent. It's transparent. Yeah, you, he can't have too much. <laughs> Goes well with olives. <laughs> um, here's a new question. This is only the second time I've asked it, and it falls into the same category as the nickname. So you know, if you're willing to share, mm-hmm. what's your most embarrassing moment ever? Oh boy, that's a good one. I have to think about that. Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, oh, I know, I know. In uh, what this comes to mind in high school. I was talking about uh, uh, plagiarism, and I and I spelled it on the board, and I spelled it wrong. <laughs> and one of my kids goes, "Oh, Mr. Cribs, oh, you spell plagiarism wrong." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure." And I look up and I go, oh, "I sure did spell that wrong." <laughs> and it was like one of the first days of school, and I'm like, "My credibility, that's it. I'm 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 toast." At least like, you weren't a vice president. No, that's right, potato. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so um. That was embarrassing just because I was um, I was like assuming that I was like – this was my f- like first experience teaching. Uh, I, I was barely – I mean high school, like full-time teacher. I had adjuncted before. Um, I was – you know, like I saw myself as like I am the soothsayer. I am the, the right. transmitter of knowledge. And, you know, I probably came and across – And you weren't like a young teacher. You no, were somebody who had had a career. Dunst- yeah. and, and, and prided myself. Had a career in, in spelling words yeah. and using words. Surpri- I, I um, pride myself on being a good speller. My mom was an English teacher. I had a diagram sentence as a kid. And so I was like, wow, you know, you just got to keep it. Like, you got to keep your humility about you because, you know, it, it just – yeah, and you have to be willing to admit you're wrong, and it's like and laugh at yourself, and laugh at yourself, and and, and well, I never pl- spelled plagiarism wrong again, and ironically, the word was plagiarism, you know. So I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm so sorry about that, and everybody laughed, and I was like, God, this is the worst impression on like the new teacher, <laughs> but the kids were great. Yeah, you know, they, I think they sensed that I was a real person, you know, and I, yeah. I, I try and do it with my students here. If you, you know, you had Bruno on, I mean, he was one of my students. Um, I try to just be genuine with them and, you know, that's it. I mean, there's, and say, here's the stuff I learned that I think you need to know going into the business and that's it. So they're very forgiving. They're very forgiving when I screw things up or I make typos myself, you know, and I'm always taking points off for them. So the other day I did that. I did make a typo in an assignment and they caught it and I'm like, okay, I, whatever points I would take off for you making them, I'm going to add them back into your mm. score because now I've done it, you know. <laughs> so um, there have been little things like that um, that I recall. But that was that was one I was like, oh, you know, like in front of the new class of kids, you know. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time. Oh, that's a good one. Um I, I, you know, not to uh, double back, but I wouldn't mind hearing that uh, the Rod Stewart song for the that that song just like ex, like exploded in me as like this is the way things this is the natural order of things for you you have to live by these mottos you know even though it was written for his kids and and I've heard it since then and it, but it always takes me back to that time and, yeah. and you know that was a magical time um, I love Billy Joel's um, um, scenes from an Italian restaurant. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's just such an epic song. Um, that one would be fun to hear for the first time. I think about like people who, like my kids, for instance, who are hearing some of these songs for the first time. The Beatles. Yeah, right. Almost every Beatles song. You know, I know them all. Like Billy Joel, except for kind of his Cold Spring Harbor album, which I have the sped up version. I know all the other songs. I know all the words to all the other songs. And I think about like when I hear my kids like hear the Beatles for the first time. You know, I'm like, wow, you're so lucky that you're like, yeah. 
it's now a new thing for you, you know. But um, that's the power of music. You know, that's the magic of it. Yeah. You know? um, what would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? I've never been a fan of, we built this city. <laughs> we built this city. You know, just, yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, Starship. Starship. Yeah. That, I, I read an airplane. article, and I don't know if it was like, it wasn't like from The Onion, so I'm not sure if, if it was meant <laughs> to be tongue-in-cheek, but it was described like they did some sort of survey, and it was the most hated song Oh, Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, now, my, before there was such a thing as Rick Rolling. Right. Um, I was a fan of that song to just bring it up in various like weird situations. Oh, so I like you're this a song. hipster Rick Roller. This this was going back to the back in the day, and and I'd say to my friends like, we'd be eating lunch or something. I'd be like, you know what, I'm never gonna do, and they'd be like, what, and, I'm, and I'd be, I'm never gonna give you up, <laughs> never, and they would like shut up, you know. And then it kind of became a thing, and and um, so um, that's. I wouldn't say overplayed in a negative way. Now you hear it a lot, but I love it because that's you know again from my era of yeah, you know. And I remember seeing the video going, man, this that the the face and the voice don't seem to oh yeah, no, and like Michael McDonald was a little bit that way too. Yeah, yeah. You know? forgetting. And it's like um, uh, but it brings <laughs> joy to me when I hear that song. You know that it's coming back now, like all these crazy ways. You know. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet all at once, which would you give them all? Maybe All You Need Is Love by the Beatles, like just off the top of my head, because we could use more of that, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I look around and I say, like, do people remember that we're all human beings living on this planet together? Like, that's a big deal, you know? That's the thing we all have in common. A lot of people clearly don't remember that. And so, you know, and, and the thing is, when you think about love, like my kids, when they were little, what's love, daddy? And I'm like, how do I describe it in words, you know? Like, it's such a force. And, um, you know, that that's something that it's like you have to feel it, you know, and you have to really be connected to other people with it. And um, it seemed like back in the day when this song came out that that was, you know, love and togetherness, man. You know, it's all about that. And, um you know, I don't know sometimes if we need just to kind of be reminded that that's like a big, that should be like a big deal, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, any songs you'll avoid listening to because you don't want to be reminded of what they remind you of? Um, no, not not really. Any I, I think songs that you'll avoid come... because you hate them? <laughs> no, even even we built this city. I'll still <laughs> sing along. You know, I still sing along with it. That would that would be a, like if I had an answer for that, Mike, it would pop right into my head because I'd be like, that's a bad association. Yeah, but I don't really have any music. Even in hard times, um, music has never been a thing that I would associate with the bad times. The only thing it would ever do would be lift me out of them and and distract me. You know, so. Um, you know, like Salt and Soul Swing, that could have been a really bad time. We were right. completely unemployed. We have no opportunities. We're 30 years old, but it lifted us up instead. So there has never been a musical, um, like, reference that would um, make me feel, you know, bad about hearing it or anything like that. Um, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here with me today? I think it, I think it would be like, oh— um, that's more or less kind of what I thought was going to go down. Cause when I, and the, funny you asked that, cause when I was probably about that age, I was like, I wonder what I'm going to be like in the year 2000. It seems so futuristic because yeah. this was 1976. I was like year 2000 flying cars and, you know, 
And I pictured myself. I tried to picture what I would look like. And I pictured pretty much what I do look like, except I had glasses in my in my um, vision of myself. Other than that, it's pretty pretty close. Do you wear contacts? Do you need no, glasses? No. And, and I don't want to like, you know, go off on a tangent, but I almost poked my eye out when I was a kid. Oh. And you know how like, remember from the Christmas story yeah. where they're like, Ralph is going to poke us out. I actually kind of did. And I poked this eye, this eye out before I wore glasses. I did wear glasses up till this incident. The, the, when they stitched it, they thought I was going to be blind. They said, the doctor said there's 90% chance I was going to be blind in this eye. And I, um, it healed and I had vision, which made my family really excited. But I ended up kind of with mono vision. So like this eye sees far, but not close up. And then this eye sees close up, but not far. Hmm. So I, I haven't worn glasses since then. Hmm. And they kind of just are always like mm, 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 compensating for each other. Fascinating. Yeah. So so my vision of me with glasses was based on the fact that I had worn glasses, but then yeah. I haven't I haven't worn them since. Hmm. You don't need reading glasses because you got that one eye yeah. that sees up close. Yeah. And it doesn't give me headaches or anything. It's just like... The brain has just learned to compensate. Yeah. It's weird. Death perception's weird. And like like last 3D night... 3D movies are probably a no-go. They they sometimes I do... Sometimes I will just see the double images with them. And then dri- like driving at night in the rain, I try to avoid because like I can't like judge things. Like with when there's rain on the windshield, my brain wants to acknowledge the rain as the thing to look at. Yeah. And, you know... Um, but uh, yeah, I don't wear, I don't wear glasses and I can see huh. fine. Yeah. Well, all right. It's time for you to recommend three people. Let's go with my dear friends, Garrett and Carol Ann Vandermeer. Okay. Um, I know Garrett anyway. Yeah. Garrett's a great guy. He's got an interesting backstory. He's very personable and he's, uh, you know, he'll be able to, um, eloquently describe everything. Same with Carol Ann. And then uh, the other person would be a former colleague. Her name is Melissa Yeager. She was an investigative reporter at Wink. And she just is like real down to earth. She's had really interesting things happen to her. She's been all over the world. Um, and she's had a lot of adventures. And I think she would have three songs, you know, the to like mark these occasions. Where's she at these days? Is I think she, she might, I, no, she's not. I think she might be, she's moved around a lot. She might, she's out West somewhere. Okay. Well, yeah. we can do that. And then the other people I'd recommend have already been on the show. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've used up all the people that are in your circles. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Not that we used them up. Um, <laughs> well, that's it, Judd. You did it. You got any final thoughts you want to leave us and the listeners with? No, I mean, I just hope, I mean, I'm incredibly honored that you would, anybody would take interest in anything I have to say about myself. Um, and, um, you know, I'm hoping that some people who hear this would have similar experiences that they can relate to. And um, I just it was really fun to re- relive all it. I had to re- kind of remember that it all happened. So yeah, it was yeah. nice to kind of. Well, it's re- nice to get to know you. We've only really ever talked in passing. So yeah. it's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Same here, Mike. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And Richard, thank you, too. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Jared the Intern Gonzalez is our production assistant. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of the songs, just go to WGCU.org, click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back one year to episode number 187 guest, Doug 
Berman. He created Car Talk and was its executive producer until it ended, and he's creator and benevolent overlord of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. By the way, this means we've been on the radio for one whole year now because we kicked off on the radio with his episode. Doug's first song story took him back to right after college in 1984 when he drove across the country with his girlfriend and his 1979 Pontiac Phoenix. So we were driving, you know, for many weeks across the country and spent a lot of time in the western United States. And you really couldn't get much on the radio. You know, it'd be a lot of static and... Uh, The FM stations didn't go far. So we ended up on the AM dial all the time. And what we ended up being able to, you know, tune in were these huge uh, AM top 40 stations that are kind of dotted throughout the country. Um, And so, you know, we'd drive out of one place and lose a station and, you know, have nothing for a little while. And then another one would come in. And it seemed like this song, Let's Hear It For The Boy, was always on because it was uh it was you know it it was a big hit that summer it was number one for a couple of weeks and spent about 10 weeks on the charts you know in the top 10 and so it seemed like four or five times a day that song would be on the car and so that that just reminds me of, uh, of that trip and driving through the west keep listening